All right, good morning, Ridgepoint Church. How are you doing this morning? Good, good. We're glad that you're here. Uh, in fact, I was thinking about this because uh, most of you know if you've been around here for in the crowd, I know after a diehard Gators fan, I know not everyone is, but but there's one person in the crowd that I know after yesterday, we're not really too excited about that, but we'll get there, I promise. Uh, one person even more of a diehard Gator fan than I am is David Calhoun, who is leading this morning. But here's the thing, and the reason I bring that up is because uh, we, we're sitting there after a, a rough day yesterday, college football began, it wasn't exactly the launch we were starting, and, and yet we were singing a song this morning. And it was especially during that second song, Resurrecting, I found myself lately, a lot of times when I go out and work out, that's the first song on my playlist. And there's a part of that song where it talks about our God has robbed the grave. Our God has robbed the grave. And the thing is, is that even in the midst of, of stuff that, that it seems really important at, the, at, that, at that time, uh, some of those things kind of melt away and they don't really matter. We realize, man, this is what our life is about. Uh, even though we, we can get passionate about college football and all that stuff, that stuff matters to us on, on a lower level. But, but ultimately, we gather together with this central truth that, that God robbed the grave. And because of that, victory is now secure for those of us who are following Christ. And so amidst all the hardships of life, we cling to that truth. Amidst a bunch of things that matter to us a whole lot more than college football, we cling to that truth. And so we are really glad you're here this morning as we celebrate every Sunday morning the resurrection of Jesus. So if you would, turn to the person next to you, give them a high five, and say, I'm really glad you're here this morning. Because we are super glad you're here uh, this morning. Uh, we're, we're finishing up a series this morning. Man, there's a lot. I love the frivolity this morning. This is awesome. Um, but, but today also, uh, we are, it's Labor Day weekend. How many of y'all have tomorrow off and you're planning on grilling out tomorrow? Awesome. We're planning on taking advantage of that extra. At least you have the day off or whatever. But here's the thing for us, and this is really important. Uh, for us, Labor Day is, is kind of the unofficial end of summer. And so we kind of took a break from our regular schedule of activities. Next week, that all kind of relaunches. And so I'm going to ask you right now, you should have gotten one of these in a way, but if you, if you didn't get one of these, I want to make sure everybody got one of the Life is Better Together cards. So if you didn't get one, could you just raise your hand and we're going to make sure you get one this morning. I mean everyone, not just every family. I'm talking about every single person here needs to have one of these cards. So I want to make sure everybody gets this because we're going to, we're going to utilize this, not just this morning, but throughout this week. So make sure our guest service team is on it. They're making sure everybody gets one of these cards. Because we're going to utilize this this morning and throughout the week, and so I want to make sure that everybody has one. Also, while they're finishing up, uh, let me explain what that means. On the back of the card, and we'll go over this a little bit later, but on the back of the card, it explains what happens next week. After Labor Day, we're going into our regular scheduled activities. We're back to two services on Sunday morning. Uh, our, our youth area is being revamped entirely. We're going back to elementary small groups on Wednesday night. All that we'll go over in just a little bit. But I want us to focus for our purpose on, on the front of the card and this idea of life is better together. Josh will be up here later and explain the back of the card. But life is better together. And the idea is that we believe that we're supposed to be doing life in community. And especially at we took the summer months, we took some time off from our regular scheduled activities to gear up for what we believe could be a pivotal year for us as a church. As we go into the new school year and all that, we kind of look at this as a new season for us. And so some people have asked, well, well how, can, how can I help? What is it that I can do? And so real quick, as we get ready to go into the message in just a little bit, three things that I want to challenge you to do as we get ready to go into next week. Number one, we need consistency. 
And by consistency, I mean we want to be a part of a movement. And it's hard to join into a movement when we kind of we sputter along and we're, we're kind of in and out and all that stuff. So as much as we can over the next several months, we want to aim for consistency in the way that we follow Christ, in the way that we're plugged into what he's doing. Uh, if you're joining group, consistency in group. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine that's a pastor right in this area. And, and he was kind of talking about some of the challenges that he faces and he said, man, at, at his church, they have what they call covenant partners, which is kind of our partnership. And he said, our covenant partners, like, like their average attendance right, right now is like once a month. And he said, it's so, so hard for us to get momentum as a church when, when our covenant partners are only here once a month. And so the first thing we want to strive for is consistency. The second thing we want to strive for is what we call invest and invite. And this is where this card it becomes so important. We print these cards off. We printed a bunch of these cards off. Because we believe it is the responsibility of everyone today who follows Jesus to be, in part, to be a part of the evangelism and discipleship process. That we need to be investing in people's lives and ultimately inviting them through, into a relationship with Jesus and into uh, being a part of the church. And so we give you these cards to say, man, take these cards. If, if you see someone who is either, uh, maybe they've unchurched, they've, they've never gone to church before, and they're like, you know, I'm kind of sketchy, I'm not sure about church. Man, take one of these cards and say, I'd love for you to come at least check it out. Uh, and, and even more so, there are a lot of people who get connected to church and summertime hit and they fell out of the habit of, of coming. Uh, use this to kind of reinvite them. Say, hey, we're going back to two services next week. Uh, maybe someone who hasn't been here in a while or maybe it's someone who hasn't been to church in general in a while. But utilize this as a tool to say, man, I'd love to see you get reconnected. It has all of our service times. If you have kids, if you have students in the youth group, all that information is there. Because we believe life is better together. And, and then the third thing is just to, to be a part of, of supporting what we're doing and, and getting excited about what the future brings. We shared last week uh, at our brief status update uh, that we're only a couple of weeks away from one of our biggest events of the year, Bloodhound Barbecue. It's a great chance for us to invest in the Auburndale area. But then also we're given this unique opportunity. And it's going to be kind of spearheaded by our youth, uh, our youth group, but, but it's open to anybody. That every other Thursday night, starting mid-September, we're going to be doing a, a feeding. We're going to be feeding students at the Auburndale Rec Center. So there are a bunch of ways for us to get plugged in and, and to serve and, and to be a part of that process, even giving towards those things. And so three ways that you can help out is, number one, be consistent. Number two, invest and invite. And number three, support us in the overall mission of what we're trying to accomplish as a church. We're really excited about some of these opportunities. But today we get to wrap up what for me has been a really exciting series, a fun series. We kind of had some, some fun as we wrapped up this, this summer talking about Monopoly. And not so much talking about the benefits of Monopoly, but to talk about this idea that the tagline for Monopoly is own it all. And so we came across and said we don't want to live lives in which we own it all. In fact, we've been saying all along that giving is, is living, so instead of owning it all, we want to figure out a way, how do we do our best at serving like Jesus served? How do we keep ourselves free from the pursuit of things like power, money? And today we're going to be talking about fame. And so as we talk about those three things, we're going to bring this up. And the first one that we are talking about, we talked about two weeks ago, was we want to keep ourselves free from this lust of, of power, now, it's not so much that we're not going to have power. In fact, Jesus, when he was here, he promised there's going to be a power that comes upon us. I just believe that we as a society, we as individuals, the power and, and even the, the other things, the money and the fame that we're, see, that we're searching for is not what Jesus really had for us. It's a perversion of what he had for us. 
Jesus comes and says, I want to give you power. And we hear that, well, that sounds good to me. And I think that power means that I'm going to be served, that I'm going to be way up here and everyone's going to be below me, and that if everyone starts serving me, I start to feel powerful. But Jesus came and flipped that on his head. And he gathers his disciples together. And instead of saying, now he's Jesus, he's he's the king. Instead of saying, you're all here to serve me, he says, instead, I'm going to come and I'm going to serve you. And that night, he sat there and he washed the feet. He took on the lowest form of servanthood that he knew, and he washed the feet of the people that you would have thought should have been serving him. And for me, when we had that conversation as part of the series, and, and if you haven't been able to, if you weren't here for that, I'd encourage you to go back, because for me, that was a turning point in the conversation of, of this series. That when we go from thinking power is about being served to the realization that power is about serving, we're starting to understand what Jesus died to enable us to do in our lives. Then last week we talked about this idea of, of money, and it's always a, a touchy subject to talk about in church. But we talked about this idea that if, if we're going to realize the power that, that Jesus gives us and even providing for us in a way that he has supernaturally provided for us as a country, that we have to go from being consumers to being contributors. Instead of walking in and thinking everything is for us and how much can I gain and how much can I acquire, instead we say, God, how can, you've gifted me this. How can I utilize this resource you've given me to make a difference in, in, in your kingdom and in your community? God, what can I do not just to be a consumer but to be a contributor to what's going on? And then today we start to talk about this idea of fame. And we want to go from being famous being influential. Now, I think most of us, especially when we're younger, and this isn't true, I, I think most of us, one and two, almost all of us qualify as, uh, yeah, I could, I could see myself wanting to have power. I could see myself wanting to have money. Not everyone's born wanting to be famous. Uh, now, I think growing up, most of us have this period of time where we start to, to pursue things. Maybe you're pursuing uh, music, and you think, man, if, if I made it big, it would mean that everybody's listening to my music. Or, or maybe you're uh, pursuing some sort of art, or, or maybe you're pursuing uh, acting. You think, man, if I made it up on the big stage where everybody knew my name, like that would be really cool. Or maybe, like me, you pursue, pursued sports, and you thought, if I could just make it to the major leagues... If I could just make it to the NFL, if I could just go where, where kids are wearing my jersey, how many of y'all want to be athletes growing up? Now, of those who want to be athletes, how many practiced your autograph? Did anybody do that? Like, I, yeah, there's a few that are bold enough to say I did that. Like, I remember I played a lot of baseball, and all the baseball guys would get together when they're on an all-star team, and they would practice signing baseballs as if anybody cared what our signature was going to look like because inside most of us, not every one of us because we're wired differently, but inside most of us, there's this desire of fame to be in the light. But here's the thing. Fame often only lasts a moment. But influence impacts forever. And I want us to get that because we see this over and over where people get famous. And sometimes they get famous for doing the the stupidest things. And we make people famous for doing stupid things. 
And they get all this notoriety, and everyone thinks, wow, they're making a bunch of money. But, but it's short-lived, and the next thing we know, like, like and I started looking at a, a series of, of pictures of people that, growing up in my childhood, like, they had this short moment of, of fame, and, and then they were gone, and, and people wondered, whatever happened to them? It's because fame is fleeting. Like, it seems like when we're young, if I could just get to that level where people knew my name, and maybe even right now in, in the company that you work for, you're thinking, if I could just get to that level where I had these employees or, or where the big bosses thought of me this way, if, if I, but, but all of that stuff, because every one of us could point to people that we either know personally or that we've seen up on, on a big platform that had those things. They had fame. They had power. They had money. It seemed like, man, that's what American culture was driving it. And even though they had money and they had power and they had fame, at the end of all of that, they still ended up being miserable. And we asked the question, why is that? And we arrive at this logical deduction that the idea of monopoly, that whoever ends up the game with the most stuff wins, just isn't accurate. It's not about how much can I accumulate in my life, but, but how much can I utilize what God has given me, whether it's power, whether it's money, whether it's influence. How can I utilize these resources that God has given me to make an influence on the people around me? So how do we begin to answer that? Why is it that what we always thought for, this idea of, of, of power and money and fame, this idea of, of owning it all, isn't exactly what we thought it was going to be. Why does the idea of own it all not work? Here's what I want to do this morning. I want to, just a second, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and start to open up there, John chapter 12. And we're going to read from John chapter 12. If not, the words will appear up on the screen. We're going to read from John chapter 12. We're going to read this excerpt. Now, the truth is, a lot of times when we do series here at Ridge Point Church, we do a series where we're talking about specific topics. We look at different verses from throughout Scripture. We believe all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. But, but in this series, we've looked specifically at the Gospels, mostly at what Jesus said, because Jesus had a lot to say about the things that we're talking about. And we're going to look at today, it's not so much what Jesus is saying, but what he's experiencing in, in his life that's going to be important. So we're going to look at the Scripture. We're going to break it down a little bit. And then we're going to look at two Real-life examples, one that's from more modern times and one from, from Jesus' time. And to see how there's a parallel there that I think is important to us. But first, let's read the Scripture. John chapter 12, we're going to begin with the second part of verse 36. And we're going to read down to verse 43. It says this, When Jesus had said these things, he departed and he hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe him. Now, there are a bunch of people who <clears throat> are following Jesus. They see the signs and wonders that he's doing, and a lot choose to embrace him. But there's still a lot that continue to reject him being who he claimed to be. Verse 38 then says, So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. This prophecy that was spoken in the book of Isaiah, Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe, for again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes, understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, watch this, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, 
But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So that they would not be put out of the synagogue. So he says this, there were some people who, who started to follow Jesus. And they said, man, I really, I'm buying into what he's saying. But I know that if I choose to follow him, I know that if I embrace Jesus and confess him before men, that because the Pharisees who are the religious elite, because they're the controllers of the synagogue, they're no longer going to allow me back because I choose to believe that Jesus was the Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament, and I don't want to risk that shame. And so they said there were some, even among the authorities, even among the people of influence, who said, man, I, I really, in my heart, I believe that Jesus is who he claims to be. But I'm kind of a little bit embarrassed. Because the authorities don't believe this. And if, if I choose to follow him and I embrace him, they're going to kick me out of the synagogue. And so he says, there's people, even among the authorities, who say, I believe, but because of my fear of other men, I'm going to choose to live in my unbelief. And then watch this last verse, verse 43. And this is where we're going with this. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. They said, listen, here's what they seek. They seek the glory that comes from man. They, they seek fame. They seek fortune. They, they seek power. They want the glory that comes from man. And they seek that more than they seek the glory that comes from God. And so it says very specifically... That there are some who choose to live in their unbelief because they care more about what other people think about them than what God himself thinks about them. Now this is written 2,000 years ago. But if Jesus were watching us today, maybe there's some, I have no idea the condition of the hearts of the people here, I have no idea. But maybe right now Jesus has been calling you, man, I want you to, to truly embrace me and, and, and to follow me. And we say, I'd love to do that, but I have a bunch of friends. And if I really started to embrace Jesus, if I really started to follow him, if I really started to, 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 to passionately believe this, what would my friends think? Like maybe they would start to, to label me and they start to say stuff about me. Or maybe that's the thing holding us back from being more passionate about even sharing our faith. Man, I know that Jesus called me to make a difference, and, and I want to be able to do that, but I'm afraid if I start really to do some of those things, that, that my friends would start to label me, my family would look at me funny, and I wouldn't be invited to the Christmas get-togethers anymore because they'd all think I was some sort of Jesus freak or something. You know, sometimes we're so concerned with what other people think that what is said about these people, these leaders, in verse 43, could be said about us. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Yeah, I've done a lot of studies on, on people and how they embrace their faith. And, and oftentimes the hardest people, when a person fully embraces Jesus and they want to be a witness, they want to be a testimony of their family and friends, often the hardest people for them to want to influence are their closest friends and specifically their closest family. Because they're, they're so afraid. If, if a stranger rejects me, it's not that big a deal. But, but if I have a friend who I've been walking with and I care about, and if I embrace Jesus and because of that my friend shuns me, well, I'm afraid to do that. So around those family and friends, I'm going to be really, really quiet. 
Because we care more about the glory that comes from man than we do about the glory that comes from God. And so the warning is there. The prophecy was there from the book of Isaiah. And he says there are a bunch of people today that don't embrace Jesus because of their concern. They want to be famous. They want to be popular. But they don't necessarily want to be influential. Let me do a side for a second. Because I want to talk about uh, something I mentioned in the first week. And, and talk about something from Jesus' day. And then compare it to a, a current thing that happened. I'm, I'm not... I know we had some visitors this morning. I'm not a very political person. I don't talk about politics at all. The statement that I'm about to talk about has nothing to do with politics, but it's simply about watching people. Because as much as I kind of stay away from those other things, I love watching people, and I love to watch the way different people react to different situations. We are a year removed. A year ago at this time, it was one of, as much as some people liked it, some people didn't like it at all, it was the, one of the most circus-like political atmospheres I've ever seen in my life. Like, that was a year ago, and things were going crazy, and, and people were passionate on both sides. And one of the things that confounded the, the experts in this was that millennials who had become somewhat disassociated with politics altogether all of a sudden started rallying around a candidate they could, that they couldn't understand why were the millennials rallying around a 74-year-old senator from Vermont, this old white guy. Like millennials of all walks of life were all of a sudden following this really, really old guy. And, and part of it had to do with politics because he's coming in offering free college education and all these things. And that's kind of like the, the person running for senior body or student body president that says, I'm going to give free pizza to everybody. And a bunch of people like that, not even if they realize it might not be possible, but, but people like that. And so some people said, here's the answer. It's just because of what he's offering. But that was really an oversimplification of what was taking place. See, experts went back and studied it and said, why is it that a bunch of college kids are rallying around Bernie Sanders and, and, and like falling in love and passionately following him? And so they went back and started to ask questions. And the thing they came away with was this. Everyone else was talking about labels. They were talking about people. But he came talking about ideals. And even with people who said, I disagree with him entirely, I disagree, I'm from the opposite political spectrum, when they were asked of the three remaining presidential candidates at that time, if you had a chance to sit down and have coffee with any of the three, which one would you want to sit with? Everyone says, I don't really like the other two people. <laughs> so I might not agree with him, but I'm going to sit with him. Young people gravitated towards him, and the experts didn't understand why. 2,000 years ago, young people gravitated towards Jesus. In fact, experts have gone back and looked, and they said this. Of the disciples... The 12 people who followed Jesus the closest, most, if not all of them, were teenagers. Some as young as 15 years old. And I said this the first week, and I want to make sure we get this. They followed him because Jesus said, I'm not going to do what's been broken, what everybody else has been doing. I'm going to come with a different message. Before then, the religious elite were thinking about, how can I be served? How can I be important? And Jesus came and said, I want to come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom instead of everyone paying for me. And all of a sudden, these young people, and I think this is one of the reasons why, 
as we desire to build a church for unchurched people, the people who are not religious, who once they get a taste of who Jesus really is, <clears throat> they say, I don't always like what the church stands for. But when I understand how Jesus lived, I respect that, and I want to be a part of a movement like that. It isn't just young people. It's people who said, I'm, I haven't grown up in a religious system where everything was kind of taught me in a certain way, but all of a sudden, when I, when I meet the real Jesus, I embrace and I want to follow him. As an aside, I want to say this. As a former youth pastor, Jesus pulled these young disciples 15, 18 years old said, I believe that we can change the world with a bunch of young people. When I first started off in youth ministry, I read a book by a guy who's an expert in his field. His name was Dr. Alvin Reed. And he wrote this book about how God uses young people. And he said this. I want you to, I want you to see this. He said, God uses young people. And, and it seems like in our culture, we see people younger and younger being pushed to excel in areas of academia. A while back, I was, I was kind of, when I was in high school, math was my strong point. And so growing up, like, that's my high, pot, my high spot in SATs. And so as my kids were, were growing up, I became the person, when they need help with their math homework, I was the one they turned to. And so, so recently, my, my daughter came to me, and she said, Dad, I need some help with some, some math. She's in this higher level math. And she said, I need some help. And she brings this homework to me, and I'm like, yeah, I'm the math guy. I got this. I know this. And I pull this out, and I said, I don't even know what this is saying. Like, I don't understand this stuff at all. I had to go get help myself. And see, as parents, we want, like, that makes us proud as parents. We want our children to excel academically. We want our children to excel athletically. At a young age, we are pushing children to excel in athletics. I was watching TV about a month ago, and the U.S. Women's Open golf tournament was on. And it was like an amateur invitation thing, and, and it was match play where they're matched up against one person. And, and I don't normally watch a lot of golf, let alone like women amateur golf, but, but I was kind of flipping through, and I happened to catch there was a 13-year-old girl who'd made it the first couple of rounds who was competing against someone who was at least 10 years her senior and matching her stroke for stroke for 18 holes to the point they had to go and play an extra a hole of golf to see who was going to win. And I thought, man, here's a girl 13 years old who's being pushed to excel athletically. And, and we see that even in the military. People, young men, young women, go, going to serve at 18 years old, we're giving them multi-million dollar jets. And yet often in the church is one place you want to hold them back. And so we want to push you to excel athletically. We want you to push you to excel academically or, or in, in different fields. But when it comes to church, we say, wait a minute, you're not quite ready for that yet. And here's the thing. Studies show that 90% of students who graduate from high school that are plugged in only youth group, that when they graduate from youth group, they have all these activities and stuff going on. When they graduate from youth group, they stop attending church. Not because it's a youth group problem, but because we as a church have to embrace them and say, man, they're ready for this. They're ready to be part of a movement. Jesus looked at this and said, I'm going to gather together these young people who are passionate about a mission. Or I'm going to gather together a group of people who are passionate about a mission. Saying, I'm, I'm, I'm done with just kind of the organized religion way of doing things. I just want to follow Jesus as best I can. 
I want to get away from the religious trappings and I want to follow him because I believe that he teaches that instead of looking to be served, which often the church has done in the past, we have to, as people, as followers of Jesus, look to serve the community around us. Instead of trying to be famous and make a name for ourselves, we have to look for ways to become influential in people's lives. See, fame looks out for me. Influence looks out for the other person. Most of us spend most of our life chasing fame. When in reality, influence is what it's all about. I want to read a verse from Isaiah chapter 26. You don't have to turn there, but I want to read this verse. Isaiah 26 is out of the NIV. It says this. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Watch this. Your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts. If fame is my desire, then my name is the desire of my heart. If I'm looking for fame, I'm saying, God, my fame and and my name and my renown are the desire of my heart. But if we say, God, instead of pursuing this fleeting idea of fame, because fame is here today and gone tomorrow, instead of pursuing that, instead of trying to make a name for myself, God, your name and your renown, It's why when we choose to follow Jesus, we take on the name of being a Christian or being a Christ follower because it's no longer about you or me. But God, your name, God, your renown is the desire of our hearts. Let me say this as as another aside. If we ever actually did this, and I'm talking about just the group that's assembled here this morning. If we ever banded together and said, listen, Our purpose together collectively, God, your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts. If we could actually humble ourselves to be at that point, God, your name and your renown, I'm not looking for my treasure, I'm not looking for my fame, I'm not looking for my power, but God, your name, God, your power, God, your fame, God, your kingdom is the desire of my heart. If we ever did that, this community would never be the same. I have no doubt we all sit there and say, yeah, we want to do that. But if we ever did that, this community would never be the same. So three things I want to compare real quick to wrap up. Three things. The difference between being seeking fame and seeking influence. Number one, when I'm famous, I impact today. When I'm influential, I impact eternity. I was reading an article this week, I shared it on social media, but Aaron Rodgers, right after he had uh, won the Super Bowl, like this was the high moment. He had, he had money, he had power, he had fame, he had all the stuff that we thought that people would want. He sat there as they're passing around the Lombardi Trophy on the, on the team bus. And he said this, he said, I hope I do more than this. Like this is all I ever want to do growing up, but I get here and I realize there has to be something more than this. Fame is fleeting, it comes and goes. So number one, when I'm famous, I impact today. When I'm influential, I impact eternity. Number two, when I'm famous, I focus on myself. When I'm influential, I focus on others. Philippians 2.3 says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, 
but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Don't do anything just because it brings attention to yourself. Don't do anything for your gain. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. In humility, say, God, I want to serve you first. And then if I have a chance to serve myself or to serve the people around me, I want to make sure I serve them next. Number three, when I'm famous, I boast on myself. I reach back and I pat myself on the back and say, good job, JJ, you did a great thing there. But when I'm influential, I boast on the cross. Galatians 6.14 says this, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. As long as I do this, my only boast, my only reason for confidence today is not because I'm a good person, It's not because I go to church all the time or because I volunteer to serve in some capacity. I don't boast because I went on a mission trip or or because God has given me a platform to do certain things. My only boast is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I do that, the world, meaning power, fame, finances, all of those things are crucified. They're dead to me. And I have been crucified to the world. I don't seek my attention. I don't seek my gain. All those things that were gained to me, it says in Philippians, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. That's the reason why I exist. Not to bring attention to myself, not to bring fame, finances, power, any of those things to myself, but to say, Jesus, how can in my life you be more glorified? We gather together to sing songs like we're going to sing to wrap up the service. Some people choose to worship with their hands raised as a sign of surrender, saying, God, I've been holding on all of these things myself, but I lift up my hand in surrender, saying, God, I don't want to hold on to these things anymore. It's all about you. Your name and your renown is the desire of, of our hearts collectively. Real quick, let me say this. What does that look like if we do that as a church? Just some practical things. If you're taking notes, you might want to write these things down. Three things. What does that look like for us as a church? Number one, we have to commit to an aggressive form of discipleship where our desire is to make Jesus famous in our community. We have to say it as a church, man, we want to be plugged in so that we are personally growing and that we want to make sure as many people as we can. If that means that i got to get up early. And i got to find a person who can, the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. i got to find that person or those people, and i got to meet in accountability. And i got to say, man, I need you to ask me the tough questions because I want to make sure that I'm being aggressive about being discipled myself and discipling others around me. Number two, we have to be willing to do whatever it takes. Uh, We have to be willing to become gloriously uncomfortable in our calling. That means there's a bunch of people that, that we need to reach that we're currently not reaching. The world is a mission field. Every week there are new people we encounter. And we have to be gloriously uncomfortable and saying, God, I accept that call. Whatever that means, whatever that looks like, I want to pursue that calling that you have for me. And number three, we have to be willing to do whatever it takes to impact our community. One of the things that I've dreamt about for a long time I was reminded of this week. 
We've all seen the last couple of weeks the images coming out of Texas with Hurricane Harvey and the devastation that's taken place there and, and to see the way people have responded. A few years ago after Hurricane Katrina hit in, in New Orleans and in, in Mississippi area, I was privileged to be part of a team that traveled up to Gulfport, Mississippi to go and, and to serve. And, and it was a, a spring break trip that we took a bunch of students to go to and it was the most life-changing weeks of, of my life. And I saw at that point that there are people that are just ready to go. They're just, they're just ready to go, and, and maybe it's that they're, they're business owners where they can take a week off in a moment's notice, or maybe they're retired where they're able to do that, but there are people who are just, man, they're saying, if, if there's an emergency at all in our area, that they're just ready to go. And I started to see the need, I started to see the devastation, and to say, man, there's probably something we could be doing right now if we're prepared for it. If right now we had to drive the 14 hours to get to Houston, there's probably people that could do that right now. And for us to be equipped to be able to do that, to have a go team that's ready to go, man. But if it hits right here, and maybe it's not something as devastating as that. Maybe it's just something, a smaller tropical storm comes through and there's some downed trees. and We have neighbors that just need help. There are people that are moments notice, say, hey, man, we already have the chainsaws loaded up. Let's go. Like, we don't have to sit there and have three weeks of organizing this whole thing because we know we've been preparing for this moment. Let's go. And so I don't know what that's looked like, but for me as a pastor, that's often been one of my dreams to say, man, if we are equipped enough that right now God said, I need the church to be the church, that we're ready to go. See, some of y'all know because people are actually texting me throughout the week. As all this was going on, it seemed like all of a sudden there was this, this anger the world threw at one pastor, Joel Osteen. And everybody saw this all over Facebook, and, and there were a bunch of people who, who don't like Joel Osteen, and they started to say, why didn't you open up the doors of Lakewood Church? It's this huge 17,000-seat church. And someone posted this. I don't remember exactly how it was worded, but it said something like this. God didn't tell me to be concerned with what Joel Osteen's doing. God told me to be concerned with what I'm doing. And the thing is, is that we can look at that and say, yeah, you have this huge platform. You could probably make a huge difference. But if we're not actively doing something ourselves, then we're the last people that need to be throwing stones. We have a responsibility to say, God, whatever we can do to make an impact in our community, because it's not about our name, it's not about our renown, but God, it's about your name and your renown, and that is the desire of our hearts. I promise if we do that, this community would never be the same. Let's pray together. Father, we are driven by your grace. It's the very reason why we exist. It's what gives our life purpose and, and meaning. Gives us focus and clarity to the things that we do. And so God, my prayer this morning is, is two different things. God, early in the morning, I, I referenced in the message that there are some people who have been holding out on making a decision to follow you. Maybe because of, of their concern with what other people are going to think and, and what happens if I make that decision and, and people start to judge me, people start to label me, and we're more concerned with the attention of, of man and the glory of man than we are concerned with your glory. And so, God, my number one prayer this morning 
is for the person who's here, who's never called upon Jesus as their Savior, God, that right now, this would be the moment of their salvation. That they'd realize that he died a very cruel and harsh death, but he did not remain dead. But he was resurrected, and through that resurrection, he defeated death. And they got all it takes today is a realization that he died to take away our sins and to confess Jesus as Lord of our life. That we can have that eternity, that we can have that future secure for us. And so God, my prayer this morning is for the person who doesn't know Jesus, that hasn't called upon Jesus himself or herself, that today would be the day that they do that. And God, maybe for those of us who have, maybe that was months, maybe it was years ago, you call us to be an active witness not to build up our name. And God, to be honest, not even to build up the name of Ridgepoint Church. But God, to build up your name. For it's the name of Jesus. It's his name and his renown that is our desire. And so God, I pray that you band us together to make a difference. You band us together to say we want to be the people that fully embrace this challenge, that God, your name and your renown becomes our collective desire. And God, that you would move in, in a supernatural way. God, that you would change this community because a group of, of loyal believers said, we're going to stick to your message and we're going to do what you call us to do. God, help us to have that purpose. purpose. Help us to have that clarity. Meet with us right now, God. Let your Holy Spirit convict us of the life change that needs to happen inside of our lives. And God, let's be truthful to that conviction. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.